Welcome to Invest Stories. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking for that next step or a newbie investor not sure where to start, Invest Stories unlocks the mindset, strategies, and techniques of high performers across business, real estate, and investing to help you level up your journey to financial freedom. This is Invest Stories. Booyah! Welcome to the Investories podcast with me, your host, John Hooper. And um, Kyle is busy today, I think. Oh, no, what was he doing? He's conferencing. Um, so, yeah, you, you're stuck with me. Sorry, but we've got a really cool guest today, Alex Jarbo. Alex is uh, an ex-Marine. He's a magician, and he's also uh, very good at the short-term rental uh, development space. So this is a little bit different. It's uh, how do you how do you find a, a suitable market and how do you build in that market? He's also uh, acquired some uh, really interesting assets, and we walk through a few of those. And he gives you really the, the hard and fast tips on how to select a market, how to run numbers, and also the the changing market conditions that we're seeing and how that's affecting short term rental um, kind of profits and and you know experiences and all that good stuff and how to stand out uh, during these these kind of changing changing times. Uh, so yeah, super excited to get you into that uh, interview. Before you go, uh, can I just ask you a favor? Can you uh, give us a, a nice five star review? And uh, like us, uh, like our YouTube page, which is uh, in the link on the show notes, uh, or you're watching it on YouTube. If you can like and subscribe, that would really, really help us. We're growing, and we see the growth. We're really excited for our new audience members to uh, to be able to tap into this. And if you are a new audience member, say hi. Investories podcast uh, at gmail.com for email, and Investories Pod on Instagram, and and come say hello give us a wave um ask us any questions and if you have any uh guest suggestions someone you want to hear from or you want to be a guest on the show uh let us know um but anyway without further ado here's alex welcome to investories alex jabo thanks for having me on man how you doing alex good man how's how's your week been good a little busy already i mean we we're coming off of labor day yesterday but it's been uh been full force yeah so you missed that day and i don't know about you i get a ton done on a monday that's like my oh yeah for sure big I mean, I ticket was, I was, day yeah yeah i was working <laughs> yesterday i was like i'm gonna take advantage of this day off just to catch up that, that's smart I, I did a bit of work and then i had a child shouting at me to to go and <laughs> go and play with uh with lego the castle I hadn't built wasn't um significant enough and uh, needed a upgrade real estate hey um <laughs> so alex thank you so much for joining us um alex is you're born and raised from uh detroit michigan yep. uh which is is super cool you uh you went you didn't go down the traditional route of college and university you went through the marine so i corps. actually did after the military yeah yeah you did afterwards yeah. okay yeah for so the marine my, corps at 18 yeah yeah so i did I did the five years in the Marine Corps and then uh, I would like a uh, bachelor's MBA in real estate development and finishing up a doctorate. But I will Very say cool. that mo most of that stuff was just for fun because it was there um, just to learn some stuff. Uh, I haven't really used most of that stuff, to be completely honest. Uh, everything's <laughs> learned in the school of hard knocks. But yeah, I think I think that's the, the rule of life, right? You go to school yeah, and yeah. it kind of half prepares you, but then. Full immersion yeah. is slightly different. It's a bit like reading a book and then going into the Marines, isn't it? It's like, yeah, ex exactly. This is a little bit different. It's a bit more yeah, high it's pressure. A little different. The book wasn't <laughs> yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a really interesting start point. So, 
for me, I, you know, I'm a I'm a, a white collar W two worker. I've had comfortable, cushy office jobs all of my life. Uh, so I find the the Marines or military service as, as absolutely fascinating. And I think there's a real intersect. I, I met a lot of people that are ex-military, now real estate developers or real estate investors. What does that What does that look like? Is there a hardened kind of mindset or just figuring stuff out? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is that mentality. I would say is just like a like a. I was a Marine Corps infantryman, uh, and just I, I think I think the biggest thing that's gained from there is just just leadership in general. And just I've said this hundreds of times. It's just like you know, I didn't realize like the value of being able to communicate and talk to people like through stressful situations, like tactfully. Um, I didn't realize the importance of that and what I'd learned there until after I'd gotten out of the military and realized that that wasn't normal. Um, Because yeah, real estate development, when I'm in, and then just overall, like these larger real estate deals that we tackle. I mean, there's a lot of stress across everyone on the team, whether they work for me or they work indirectly through me, say like, real estate brokers, lenders, and whatnot. There's a, there's a lot of stress that comes from that. And being able to keep your cool in those stressful situations is probably the biggest thing. And just how to like, just to talk how to talk to people, um, realizing the value of a phone call or an in-person meeting over just mm-hmm. a text message and email um, is, is, is probably the most important thing that I gained from the, my military service. So I, I was talking to um, my wife's nephew and we were talking about this this kind of subject, right? One is like how to get ahead, how to kind of life hacks or business hacks, um, how to get ahead of other people. That I'd like your opinion on this: the te- the move to text messaging, email, not picking up the phone, not kind of no service, just a exchange. Do you think that will change, or do you think it takes a certain type of person in real estate? And yeah, and I'll, t- I'll take it a step. I'll take it a step further. Real estate's usually the last thing to adapt to anything <laughs> techie, right? I mean, yeah. I, we deal with people like some owners and sellers that like they'll they don't even docu sign or they don't they don't electronically sign anything. Um, I was actually talking to uh, one of the people that are helping us with one of our builds, and they're like, "Yeah, my uh, he's like, I need to sign and scan this over to you." I'm like, "Okay," um, but like I, I would take it a step further with real estate. It, it's the importance of like an in-person conversation, even, even if you can't do it in person and you do it like this, like through zoom or whatever mm-hmm. recording through here is, is very, very important. And a step above that is like, you see people on our level, like at the highest levels of real estate that own, own like private jets that, that they, they take private jets just to fly one day or two days just to have an in-person meeting with someone that they're looking to either purchase or partner with. Um, so I don't think, that will ever go away. Um, I think the importance of that has only gotten more the bigger I've gotten is that I I don't like doing stuff over text messages or emails when it's like a stressful situation because things can be misconstrued very Mm -hmm. easily. Um, I'm also not afraid of my phone. I'm not afraid of Zoom calls with like dealing, like I said, like with the uncomfortable conversation sometimes. So um, I think that there's always going to be importance for that in-person thing um, or at least a phone call. Um, cause you, you can never understand tone through a text message yeah. or email. Context is, is key, yeah, right? Yeah. Especially if you're yeah. talking about numbers or, uh, kind of trading or, you know, concessions, yeah. that kind of stuff. And the other, yeah. the, the thing I found was, and I love the fact you touched upon that leadership piece, um, probably slightly different from a military background, but from, yeah, yeah. from like my background, I'm like, if you can lead, uh, if you can drive things forward and kind of lead, um, a team that's smarter than you, 
And if you can do that while kind of keeping a conversation going and, and dealing yeah. with pressure and, Sell- and knowing how to communicate, that's just selling, that's a, killer. A, selling a vision and putting together mm-hmm. and selling a vision is, is I would say half the battle. Um, I mean, you, you, you study important people, you, you study successful people, whatever you think success is to you. Um, their number one characteristics outside of storytelling is being, I mean, storytelling falls into that and being mm-hmm. able to sell a vision. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, I think the decision making and that's that's always fascinating talking to kind of military people of like that is ultimate pressure, like the decision making process uh, in that and the kind of overlay in in real estate, I guess. um, Why? Why real estate? What was the kind of move from Marines? 18, you said you went into the Marines. How long were you? Yeah, 18. Yeah, 18, literally two weeks after high school graduation. Didn't even wow. have a summer break that year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the biggest shift happened. The last year of the Marine Corps, I decided I didn't want to re-enlist, um, actually. And I started just picking up a lot of business books, general, anything related to business. Um, and I had originally gravitated towards the Bigger Pockets books when it came to real estate, uh, some of the flipping books. And while I was still in the Marine Corps, I joined a flipping mentorship. Um, and we were like, this was back in the day where, and I say back in the day, like I'm 70 years old, but, uh, <laughs> like back when you had to pick up a phone to do like a group coaching call. Um, and I, I was on a group coaching call for this flipping mentorship. And the person who ran that flipping mentorship had mentioned that even back in 2000, I think it was 2015, 16, that all of their long-term wealth was tied into short-term rentals. And that really, that sort of perked my ears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had gotten on a one-on-one call with the person that ran that mentorship and he sort of helped me he, he taught me how to choose a market to choose a vacation rental market. And there was like three or four markets at that time that we had decided on. And it actually, it fell on my fiance at the time, wife now. And we just decided, I was like, Hey, I'm really open. The conversation I had with my wife, but also the mentor was like, Hey, I'm really open to moving anywhere. Um, and when, after we decided on Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina, where I currently live now, and all of our properties are here, we have plans on going, um, to different markets next uh, year, but, um, that, that sort of solidified everything was like that. I I sort of just went down a rabbit hole. It was like, I got interested in real estate, then the flipping mentorship. And then that I'd already decided I wanted to get out. Um, and then the day, same thing, same thing, how joining the military, like the day I got out of the military, um, I drove straight here, um, and then got my broker's license, my real estate license, and just started helping, uh, people buy and sell real estate. Uh, mainly, I mainly worked with investors. And then in the background, I was always looking for something to purchase. But what I realized in that first year of doing that was either everything was way out of my price range at that time, or it was in my price range. It just wouldn't have done well as a, in my opinion, it would have done well as a, a vacation rental long-term. It would have done well maybe as like a long-term rental or a midterm. I don't even know if midterm was even a term back then. Um, <laughs> but it's like I, nothing really fit the mold of what I was looking for in my price range at that time. So my very first real estate, investment outside of a couple rental arbitrage deals that I'd done mm-hmm. with vacation rentals um, was like a 800 square foot A-frame new construction ground up from nothing. Wow. Um, and that rolled into two more that we built and then brought on some investor capital for from, from friends that were just like asking me what I was doing and then uh, ended up teaming up for the, some of the larger stuff we ended up doing teaming up with a, a fund and then a second fund uh, that that had the money to invest uh, into these larger projects. And then today we are either working, managing, or working to close, like we're either developing, managing, or working to close on over like 35 million, 40 million in real estate right now, just wow. in this market alone. 
Um, and I rarely say those numbers because like the market concentration so much, but it's like, we're, we're mainly, mainly in the luxury market right now of short-term rentals. That doesn't mean like these properties are five, 6,000 square foot. We do have properties in our portfolio that are like that. But when I say luxury, it's mainly like the amenities and w- where the property is mm-hmm. actually situated at mountain views. Some of our properties are 400 square foot, but I consider them luxury because of the, the views and the location and the history of the property. Amazing. Uh, what was it that so i'm always interested when people say about their their partner or their wife and how they kind of brought them into uh buying into the 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 process or buying into the you know it's a huge chunk of both person's money right and time going into it yeah i mean was that an easy conversation or how did that fit yeah i mean i've been i've been incredibly grateful to have a partner that even before we were engaged that was always on board of what i was doing from i mean i married my high school sweetheart from the military going into uh, real estate. And I, I mean, I, I've never said this before, but like, I mean, my wife almost exclusively funded those first real estate deals and she just had the trust that it would snowball into what it is now. Uh, but I mean, without like back in, back when I first started, like short-term rental loans weren't a thing. Like we were just getting qualified on like second home construction loans. Right? I mean, that's what they were. Um, and coming out of the military, going to school, I didn't have any income, um, at least to show for, like I, I had the military paying for my schooling and whatnot, but, uh, like a, a broker, broker commission checks are not consistent income to be able to prove a property. So, I mean, in the beginning, yeah, I, I, everything is attributed to my wife in terms of all the, um, the, those first couple projects. And without those first couple projects and the success they had, I would have never been able to roll into these other ones. So, I mean, it just, it, it just came from a level of trust that I'm just super grateful for. So was that the driver behind building rather than buying uh, the, yeah, the, it the just, financing it came, piece? The financing piece. And yeah, it's, we couldn't like, it's like, okay, you, you got qualified for 180 grand. It's like, okay, go find a rental that you think is going to make a good rental at 180, 200 mm-hmm. grand in this market. It wasn't even back then, 2016, 17, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and then it, it was only eight, it's only 800 square feet. That first one, I mean, a cash flow is like a monster and we still own it to this day. Um, but it, what I realized really quickly was the development, the, the development side of real estate, especially for short-term rentals, you have complete control over the square footage. It, every mm-hmm. single square foot is optimized. And, uh, that, that goes directly, that deals directly into the cost of it. I mean, we were able to optimize every single square foot of that first property um, where, where we didn't waste anything. And then that, that directly attributed to just the debt service and everything else that goes with that. I mean, we, we have properties that we purchased that are like 3,500 square foot, beautiful luxury log cabins, but it, like in all seriousness, they probably could be 2,200 square foot cabins with how mm-hmm. like I'm, the one I'm thinking about specifically has massive bedrooms um, where like one bedroom could technically be two bedrooms. Um, so stuff like that, it's like that to answer your original question, we, we just gravitated to dated towards the development cause that was all we could afford at the time. <laughs> it, it wasn't even the thought of like, is development hard? It's like, this is the only, this is the only, only path right now. If we want, there is no it. plan B. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I like absolutely. that. I think that's fair. Yeah. We, we, cause we bought, um, a few years back, probably in the height of, um, height of the short-term rental kind of people investing and we'll, we'll get onto that. Um, yeah, yeah. your kind of experience on that but we you know we got killer financing on it so actually the argument is 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 the value in our property the finance that's attached to it or is it the actual property itself it's a yeah. bit of both very um, good question we've we've seen slowdown 
but yeah. we've also bought a property that we knew could weather the storm of any slowdown. So um, I, I'm interested it's in tough your... skin. Yeah, very tough skin to do that. It's one thing to say that. I mean, you guys are already doing it. It's another thing to do it. So it's like what I've realized with like raising capital and just talking to investors, it's compared to like last year or the beginning of last year, even the year before, it's like, it's very easy to say like, oh, when a recession happens or when a downturn, I'm not going to call it a recession, a downturn. Um, it's very easy to say all those things like during that time. And now that we're actually in it, it's like people are like very, very skittish, which is a, it's a, it's a cool learning point. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that line in the presentation yeah. that says values can go up and down, returns can, yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It is investing. <laughs> That's, <funny. laughs> That's really funny. Um, in terms of, so I, I want to dive into that, but I really want to get your take on what makes a good market or maybe how you pick a market and then pick a neighborhood and kind of drill yeah. into it. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So there, for vacation rentals, it, it, it's, it's more, it's more idea based. There, there's more different ways to do it. So it's like, if you're, if you're looking at, I'll, I'll say I've coached over close to four or 5,000 students in short-term rentals, 5,000. And the, the air DNA data can be a, like air DNA is one of the tools that you can use mm -hmm. to underwrite a property. That stuff can be very misleading if you don't know how to filter it properly. So when it comes to market analysis, I like markets that existed as vacation rentals prior to like Airbnb and VRBO back in the day where you had to pick up a phone to book a vacation rental. A lot of times those markets are automatically protected by vacation rental laws. I'm not going to say every single city and market is like that, but if you look at like Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, I mean, I'm not like that market can be looked at as saturated and there are some reports that say that, but I first step is getting into a market that obviously has, if you're purchasing has already some sort of established short-term rental laws um, that, that doesn't mean that if there's a permit there that you're just completely disregarding that city, because I look at permits as a good thing, like as long as you can mm -hmm. get them, because there's some cities out there that have completely outlawed short-term rentals. Um, if you can get a short-term rental permit, it's rel if there's a guidance on like a county website, it's pretty easy to do it. Um, because they're, and that's also, that ties into the value of property, which you can talk about differently. But that's step one is just getting into a market, look, finding markets like that, that historically are some sort of short-term rental markets prior to the OTAs, the online travel agencies like Airbnb, VRBO. Other thing, I like to invest, I don't necessarily like beach markets too much. Um, I like to invest in mountain markets that are not really ski resort type of properties, like ski resort type markets. Blue Ridge Mountains are very historically are like like that. Um, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, the Smokies are like that. West Coast, I haven't played around too much with it, but there are markets like that on the West Coast. Those tend those markets tend to be a little bit less seasonal. There, every every market's going to have their seasons, but you're like we've always cash flowed in the winter, not as aggressively obviously during our high season, um, but we we've, we've always cash flowed during our slow season as well. So that's, that's number two. The n number one is choosing market again, that, that historically has short-term rentals. I like mountain markets. That's number, uh, that's number two. And then three, which is a strategy that we accidentally got into, but I, I heard a lot, I've heard a lot of people speak on it the last like four or five years is investing into like some sort of market that is close to either to a national forest or a national park. Um, during, I mean, we were investing prior to COVID, but during COVID, the lockdowns, once things slowly started to open up, mm -hmm. uh, where international travel was still difficult, I mean, the the national parks and the national forests saw record numbers, record, record numbers. Um, and that's what drove a lot of the short-term rental stuff uh, and the growth that happened there. Um, and then the last, last thing that I've always told students is that 
if you can't find other, either one of those three things, or you just don't want to go out of your city, I was like, think about, you want to think about a city or an area that people are vacationing to where they're, they're like, say like I'm in Detroit, Michigan, where like where I grew up, um, Detroit itself, in my opinion, I wouldn't be investing in Detroit because like I invest in more rural markets. So I'd be thinking about where a city that people are vacationing, like taking extended weekend vacations to, um, that, that is in my area, maybe like one to two hours away to me that if I'm in Detroit, Michigan, that's Northern Michigan, where a lot of the, a lot of the vacation rental markets are, are Northern Michigan, uh, in, in that two hour radius to Detroit. So if you don't want to go and find these national forests, national parks, mountain markets, historically with short-term rentals, blah, 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 just think of a place that people are taking extended weekend vacations to in your market. That's about an hour or two away. And that tends to be, there's thousands of these pocket markets mm-hmm. is what I like to call them. And they're, they're scattered throughout the whole country, if not world, um, where they're not going to appear on any type of vacation rental list, like top 20, top 30 markets to invest in. But you're going to know very easily just by knowing the, your market that that's going to be a good vacation rental market because you say you grew up there or say you you just you have friends that are constantly going to these markets. You're going to know that better than anyone. I like that. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, that that kind of local knowledge. Um, yeah, we I, f- I felt good. We ha- we own in the mountains. <laughs> And then I yeah, felt yeah. bad. We own right on a ski slope. So <laughs> we see we see the opposite seasonality. We see very slow, well, slowish in the summer. And then uh, in the winter, it was kind of booming this winter. We did we did well until uh, too ironically yeah. too much snow closed the mountain down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So there's a, there's a thing I didn't think was going to be a problem uh, in Southern California. Too much there's snow. too much snow. But there, yeah. there it is. I guess you got to get you got to get there. Like yeah, the, the infrastructure yeah, yeah. just fell over, basically. <laughs> they couldn't get gas up Where, the hill. The, and all where's that, that at? Uh, Big Bear, Big Bear Lake. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's uh, you do, it, I mean, I've, I've, I've done bachelor parties in Big Bear in the summer. So, I mean, it's just yeah. a slower. We're, but... we're right on the mountain. We're five-minute walk to the, to the lifts, condo yeah, yeah. with a deck awesome. out the back. So it's beautiful. It's just not a lake house in the summer that you kind of fantasize about rather than... But, you know, right. the, the, the difference is... Come the ski season, you can literally just walk out your front door and skip the traffic and all that kind of stuff. So, That's yeah, awesome. sw- swings and roundabouts. How do you um, how do you pick a good property? And you said about kind of designing an ideal property and, and maximizing the square footage. What does that yeah. thought process look like? It's a lot of Instagram pictures, uh, a lot of Instagram, a lot of Pinterest pictures that we save. That's that's on the development side. If you're if you are comfortable with going that route, uh, when it comes to choosing a like a, a property, obviously underwriting it just like a normal vacation rental. And when I, when I say normal vacation rental, you're looking at your occupancies, you're looking at all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. You want some sort of, you want something unique about the property if you have some sort of control over it. So accent walls, interior design, if you don't have any control of the outside of the property, interior design has gone a very long way in the last year as this market, as this real estate asset class has become way more saturated and I'm not gonna say saturated, but way more competitive. Um, and there are some phenomenal companies out there. Um, I forgot the one, uh, there's one that's like, I, I had met at a conference, uh, but interior design is, is going to be, if you're going into a property, like putting some sort of line item or budget, whether you can tie it into your loan or going out of pocket, um, is don't go, don't go cheap on the furniture. If you're going to be purchasing a, like a short-term rental. Um, and then also playing with the interior design piece if you're just purchasing. Now, if you're building, I mean, sky's the limit with that. Like I said, 
optimizing the square footage where you're not wasting any square footage and you're just leaning on your GC and your architect for that. Um, and then some something unique, like what we're doing, what we've always done, but it sort of be, it became more popular as the the platforms progressed and evolved is people people are looking for especially with, with us going through sort of a, like a little bit of a downturn right now is people are looking for a property that is an experience outside of the city that they're visiting and if you can sort of provide that it it, it sort of plays into your entire like business strategy and we can we can talk about that with marketing channels and how to get to your occupancy up but if you're developing, like I said, sky's the limit. If you're just purchasing, just earmarking some some sort of budget for interior design, like really well done interior design. Um, because at the end of the day, your pictures sell the property, whether you like it or not. Um, and if you have something unique in your in your listing, I mean, that, that's even better. That's cool. Yeah. I, one of the things I really want to tackle on our place is the um, the deck. So we have a, a deck out the back with a huge pine tree through the middle of it. Beautiful. And it looks cool, but it's kind of just, it's it's a snowy place, right? So we're, we've been apprehensive in terms of what do we put out there and we need to figure out what that looks like. I want to put some lights out there and maybe a, yeah, yeah, a mural or something would be really cool. Um, yeah. We're not, we're not quite in the hot tub territory yet. We're not sure about a hot tub and the, the liability it used to it, that used to be a conversation that was a little bit more like I, I remember two years ago three years ago people were like tying prices to like like hey you can get 20 to 50 dollars more on your average daily rate if you had a hot tub i've seen that slowly progress down mm-hmm. like I, I i stopped putting hot tubs in my budgets like compared to like two three years ago interesting yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And so let's let's talk about what's going on in the market. And um, you've yeah. you've done some work for Bigger Pockets. You've written some articles. You said there's been a bit of a gap between short term rental articles. Can you talk us yeah. through kind of what what you've seen, the trends, and then what was really interesting in our initial conversation uh, before we started recording was the idea of uh, comments are slightly different from previous articles today. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, there for for people who are operators uh, like you and me, like we we have definitely seen a shift in the last year, I would say. Um, and there's a lot of different things that attributed to that. I mean, the the downturn that we're having here in the states, plus just international travel being opened up, people being cooped up in the states and wanting to go internationally, um, different attributes. But the biggest thing that I've seen, the biggest shift, is that people who got into this into the short-term rental game prior to COVID, but say during like during COVID when everyone was inside, just looking at like if maybe you came across an influencer, someone's like, hey, I made this much money doing short-term rentals. And maybe someone was just in a position to just purchase a short-term rental no matter what it looked like and just threw it on Airbnb and be like, I'm good to go. Like that's my entire business. Those are sort of the the operators and the properties that are struggling right now. Is I've always, I've said this in the last eight months is when people ask you what you do, you shouldn't be saying I'm in Airbnbs. You, you, technically you're in hospitality, even beyond vacation rentals, you're in hospitality. And that, that should be the, the attitude that you have going. If you, if you're an operator now, or if you're looking to get into vacation rentals, you, you're in hospitality and you should be treating it like a business. So what, what does that mean? Treating it like a business? It means going on multi-channel. That's step one, meaning you're you're not just on Airbnb. You're on Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, and taking it a step further is if you if you want to go beyond just owning one property, is you're building out a direct booking platform, either building it out or utilizing one that's already there um, that that you can pay into, 
and uh, treating it like a business where you're creating an email list and, and uh, let's say like a phone number list where you can SMS text to. The way we've, we've done it and we've been collecting emails uh, for the last four years is we use a, a service called StayFi. And StayFi is a little, I've talked about StayFi for the last two years. It's a little uh, disk that plugs into the back of your router and it creates a landing page for your internet. And uh, imagine you're going to Starbucks or airport, you have to put your email address in to get access to the internet. Same idea. Um, it, and say like you have a larger property that sleeps like 16, like one of our properties, you're not just getting the email address of the person that's booking, you're getting everyone's email address that is staying at that property. Um, that way you can remarket to them. And we're not like sending spammy emails. We're sending, say, like seasonal emails going into, say, if we're going into our high season two months prior, we're sending a, a, a seasonal newsletter or whatever. Um, that's really important. That's, that is the difference between people who are struggling right now and people who are starting to do better coming out of if they were struggling or not is going multi-platform, treating it like a business, building an email list through a service like StayFi. And then being able to control your guests. And it's almost gone full circle where I've said that Airbnb, VRBO, the other channels, they should be looked at as marketing arms to your business. And then your eventual goal is to be able to control the guest. Um, just like if you were selling this water bottle on, on Facebook or, or Google ads, like promoting it through Facebook, Google ads. I look at Facebook, Google ads as like the Airbnb, VRBO, but your eventual goal is to be able to control your customer. So that 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 is the difference. That is the shift that's happened in the last like year is people going multi-platform and then also treating their properties like a business. And if you can't do that, I'd recommend finding a manager in your area that already has those systems in place where you can maybe you thought you wanted to be a short term rental operator, but now it's like it, it's it's one <laughs> or maybe they're not profiting. Yeah. Um, so some of these bigger managers in the markets like they have access to channels that just a, a normal mom and pop, say you have one or two properties, just don't have access to. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think that the one, one thing we found really important was just finding that right team set of team members. Yeah. We feel really lucky to have, uh, and taking care of them. We feel lucky to have done that. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, it, so in terms of how has this trend kind of converted to, I guess the stuff you've been writing for for Bigger Pockets, and then also kind of the feedback in the community of, uh, short-term rental uh, owners. I find that quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a combination of everything. Like I said, it's a combination of interest rates going up where pe it's, it's harder for people to purchase properties. It's also with, with, with the economy slowing down, people are traveling less with the borders practically fully open. I mean, practically they're fully open. Um, they're not traveling domestically. So people who are traveling domestically here, they're they're they become pickier. Right. Um, and, I feel like now, whenever I, um, we were just talking about this, like I said before we started, um, I hadn't written anything for Bigger Pockets in six months. Prior to that, I'd written nine articles just in five months, and uh, or six months. And I just we just pushed one out, like they just pushed one out, one of my articles, like two days ago, and the comments were rough. And I try to stay away from reading the comments for the most part, unless if someone tells me, "Hey, you should check out the comments." There's actually some really good conversations happening in there. This most recent one was not the case, and I, I saw that. It wasn't the content itself. It was just the shift. And it, I, that was like, I'm not going to say the first time I've seen that shift, but it definitely solidified it. Like, okay, like it, you have to be treating this like a business. It go, I think gone are the days of you're just grabbing a random property and throwing it on Airbnb. And the comment section of the articles was, just, and I feel like everyone's just going to hop on that article now just to check it. Uh, but like the comment section of that article was just something that I was like, oh, okay. Like they're, 
it's harder now. So that it's we already we already had those systems in place prior to that, but it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just interesting. That's yeah, it's it's being a bit more tactical and responding. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I think what what we haven't done is the direct to um, guest kind of engagement post stay and collecting emails and follow not follow ups not the right if, word, if but... you if you don't want to build out your website you can just create that you can just plug in stayfy into your properties it's really cheap to do it and mm-hmm. just uh, with that's what we did we, i mean we we launched our direct booking site this year um and we we were collecting emails from the beginning because it was so cheap to do it yeah and we should because uh, most of our guests this year have been or a lot of them have been repeat repeat guests yeah. wanting to come back yeah. having good experience um, shout out to my Stay wife. Five, being... Stayfy has their own platform that's built in that has templates and everything too. It's oh, very, amazing. very easy, yeah, easy and cheap. To, you don't have to use MailChimp or everything. They they already have a soft, like a white label software oh, already cool. in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. There's there's a hot hot tip there. Um yeah, yeah. in terms of so I want to go back to your your business and, and you you know you talked about it. It's it is a business, short-term rentals, hospitality. Uh, it it's certainly is a, a business and it needs kind of attention and care and, and treated with seriousness and all that good stuff. Talk to me about the scale um, and how you've kind of scaled from those first two, I think you said the two kind of A-frames. Yeah. What, yeah. what was that process and what was kind of, was it driven by necessity or intentionality or creativity? What, what does that look like? The, the biggest thing that I realized, and it, it, it comes from when I first started, there was like maybe one vacation rental book out there to read from. So everything that I know about real estate came from good good mentors that I'd reached out to. Like if I, I read a multifamily book, I'd reach out to the author because it's relatively easy to do that. Um, most of what I know about short-term rentals and vacation rentals, I know from multifamily. And what, from multifamily, and that's why I've always had a really good experience and just a very good conversation, an easy conversation to have with someone that is multifamily if they're looking to invest in some of our stuff, um, is there was really, for my time, the team was obviously bigger, but, and the numbers bigger too, but there's no different, there was no difference between me developing one property, like one single, single family property, or if you're, or if we were developing seven, for the most part, my time was was the, almost the same exact thing. It was obviously a bigger team. Um, so when I looked at my goals for the year, looked at my goals, say five, 10 years, I realized that I couldn't just be building one, one and two properties at a time. Um, that obviously worked for me to get the ball rolling and get that flywheel going, but to one, to achieve my goals. But if I wanted to do some of the bigger stuff, I I knew that it it was a realization that I had with the mentor that it was almost the same amount of time, whether it be, and it was almost easier. Like that very first property that we talked about, the A-frame, I looked at over a hundred parcels, like to, to decide on the one that we settled on. When you're doing these larger deals, when you're looking at 20 acres, 30 acres, 40 acres, 100 acres, there aren't one, there's not too many of those in that market, like not as many as like the one, two, three acres. Um, It was just easier to underwrite the properties. Um, So that's where that whole thing came from of doing larger deals and teaming up and the the teaming up with funds just came from me realizing that I couldn't raise the capital initially because I was so focused on on the day to day operations at that time. Yeah. Very cool. Sorry, I hadn't unmuted my mic uh, for people watching on YouTube. Um, that, that's that's really interesting. So, in terms of, I think I totally get the project thing. I've I've worked on a lot of big projects and small projects, and uh, you know, in, in my W two, and and know that kind of time feels to expand. Um, yeah, the time absolutely. you have. Uh, yeah. In terms of the finance financing piece, 
what did that look because a lot of people hear fundraising or you know figuring out the construction financing there's a kind of gap between those two points um, yeah, and, yeah. and the biggest the biggest kind of hurdle is is I guess self-belief or also just going out and asking people for money what what did that look like was there a was there kind of bridging loan products that you use between them I don't mean a bridge loan I mean you know yeah, no I've got private bridge money loans. that yeah, kind of no, stuff completely fine yeah yeah um so it's all depending on how big you want to go one to four units most lenders if you're low I, I hate to say local credit union because everyone says that but some <laughs> some of our earlier loans were local credit unions because they, they were just uh I mean, they became comfortable with lending on vacation rentals. So like anything one to four, even on the construction side, it's relatively easy to get now. I mean, I can plug a couple companies here right now. Aloha Capital, Host Financial, um, Kevin Kevin from Aloha, and then uh, Adam from uh, Host. But those are two very good options. Granted, as we're reporting this, interest rates are high. So just take that into account when you're underwriting. Uh, and then when you're getting into the larger stuff, say like five plus, um, surprisingly, again, the interest rates are like closer to like 11% right now. Last time I got quoted on one, um, you can get SBA financing and stuff like this. You, you you need to find the right SBA lender, but once you find that SBA lender, it's, it's a normal business loan. It's just construction. It's construction to perm, or if you're refinancing out of that construction loan. Um, so th- those are the, that is the two biggest uh, gaps. There is you can find one to four unit short-term rental vacation rental lenders relatively easily. I just gave two Aloha and, and host. And on that other side, SBA financing, um, I said hospitality. If you're doing these 20 unit, 40 unit, I call them micro resorts, which is what we're working on now, you you can tap into hotel loans, hospitality loans, brokers, um, that, that world automatically exists. And that shift is the same shift that happened with residential loans and, and residential investor loans, like for vacation rentals in the last five years where they're, they're more like easily accessible now. That's sort of happening with the hospitality side is what I'm seeing. It's very early stage, but it, it, that, that's how we've been able to fund. And then for ones that we were like, we want to close sooner. Um, we, we just have, we've, you, you just mentioned that we, we've done we, larger bridges. I mean, four or $5 million bridges to get the deal across the table. That's great. Yeah. I'm going to dig into that hospitality uh, uh, loan piece. There's a, there's a few things I really want to own. And one of them is a boutique motel or hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a hospitality that's a loan. I mean, yeah, it's, it's I'd never thought loan. of that. You know, I hadn't yeah. done that much work into it. And, you know, you, you see it and you go, oh, that's a that's a hard stop on on kind of progressing. Like in terms of those kind of products, what do you need to show in terms of experience? Um, yeah, experience is going to be the biggest thing. And if you can't if you can't show that experience, I'd recommend putting a manager behind it. So it's like, and okay, make that. So like, all of I made this decision so I can fo- focus on the social media aspect of it and then also just the general strategy of the properties. But we do, I did bring on um, the top manager in my market to handle all the day to day stuff. And surprisingly, they are doing way better than I was doing, like my team. And then my team <laughs> is now focused on, uh, we reshuffled a couple positions, but now my, without like having to get rid of anyone. But now my team is focused strictly on strategy and social media um and and growing the entire company outside of this market um but that that's sort of that that's just the shift that happened in the last like year and whatnot is like with us doing these larger deals and it also helped we realized it helped resale value is like when we were getting these loans the bank actually didn't like that we were like 
me being an owner and also putting the deal together, they also didn't like that I own the management company, surprisingly, when we were doing the larger deals. Okay, yeah. Um, so putting a manager, even though I do have bigger pockets, I have a real estate and uh, I have an MBA in real estate development. I have seven years of experience. Putting a manager behind uh, this larger property that we did was very, very helpful, both for raising capital and then also for uh, for getting that bridge financing. Very cool. And then in terms of the final piece of that is the um, kind of raising money from, and is, is that through crowdfunding or through yeah. 506? We tried, the first three months we did it, we tried to do it through like a couple family offices and it was just trying to, trying to get everyone to agree on a certain thing, which I completely understand. I mean, these family offices were willing to contribute three, $4 million a piece to, to get the deal done. Uh, but then we we slowly evolved into just doing it through account crowdfunding, which I've again I've teamed up with funds to do that, but I've never done that myself. Um, this is a big part of it. Doing podcasts was was another step, and then also just uh, like we're working, uh, and I'll plug them here. We're working with LocalVest to market this property across like LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, um, and they, they they've done a really good job with that. It's just some sort. Of, it's same thing with any other business. Like I said, we treat it like a business. It's like we have we have marketing. We have marketing run by local vests. We're doing marketing through podcasts, through through my own channels as well, and through my own network, uh, email marketing as well. And then we're we're pushing everyone to our our uh, investor website that we specifically built for that one property that we're raising for. And then there's just so, a whole bunch of back end stuff. Yeah. Sorry. I, so I really want to talk about that property first. I want to talk about magic. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, so yeah. you you're you're a magic fan. You're a no, magician. A, I've been, it's funny because I was saying I was a magician for 10 years, but that was 10 years ago. So I've been a magician <laughs> for close to 20 years. Uh, I'd originally got into it because uh, my my mom taught at the school that I went to in Detroit. And uh, I was very introverted as a kid. So to she there was like a magic store that was like 30 minutes away from us that offered free magic classes. Uh, this is when I was like 10 years old. And uh, that slowly evolved into me carrying that through middle school, high school talent shows, winning talent shows into the military. And then I use it as like a networking thing now, like at uh, real estate events. And it's a really cool icebreaker. It's not like I'm just coming out and just approaching someone. <laughs> going to no, magic, but like if we like if, if there's a conversation that progresses into the night or maybe we're at a bar or something, I'll slip that in. There's always like a like, is he about to pull a rabbit out of a hat type like thing? But it's like, it's, it's mainly street magic stuff, but yeah, I've been doing it for 20 years. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's just a hobby that's always stuck with me. Um, and I, it's just evolved into this networking thing. That's just really cool. And you have a record, right? I do. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can move my camera. Yeah. So I have a Guinness world record right there. Wow. Um, when I, when I first came out of the military, I was like, uh, I was very bored. Uh, like I went from a, t- I, I, I went from like a tempo of like 80 to a hundred hour weeks. Yeah, and I, I hate imagine. to put hours on it. Cause it was like days. Cause there isn't really like a, a schedule in the military um, to, to, yeah, I was going to school full time, but I was getting my broker's license and starting. So I had a lot of time on my hands and I was like, I always wanted a Guinness world record. So I just like went on their website and saw what was like the easiest thing to get, which was, I wanted something that was either, it's funny that you mentioned it cause it's tied to magic. I wanted something that was either coin or like card related and it was like furthest distance to roll a coin i was like that sounds easy enough and we just we did it here so yeah that's and then like I, so I submitted cool. it i submitted everything six months later they sent me a cert because you don't have to you don't have to pay to bring someone out you can just have a whole bunch of people film it which is what i did and then we just submitted all the evidence wow they and look at that for social proof i'm trustworthy i have a yeah exactly. guinness world record <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first thing I put in my investor deck too. It's like 
yeah, here are the numbers anyways. Um, no. <laughs> ask me about coin rolling. Well, I do want to ask you um, before you go, and I'm conscious of time, the yeah. the, the mini resort, micro resort, is that what you call it? That's what I've been calling them. Yeah, cool. micro, and the that that came from my wife and I were visiting uh, Tulum Beach, Mexico, and we realized. Oh, I just all, got back from there. Yeah, all the properties there on the beach, are, mm-hmm. like they're what fifteen to thirty unit, like and but they're beautiful. Um, so yeah. that that's where that idea came from was like the micro resort. It's like how do I bring this to the states? And I'm not gonna say I'm the one who brought it up, like invented it, because I'm not. But it's like the these like twenty forty unit type of properties, 15 to 40 unit. I think that is the future of hospitality, even outside of hotels, um, is these like really, like you can focus on the guests, you can give them mm-hmm. a luxury experience. Um, and they're just very unique where it's a, like the guest is just proud to put them on their social media, which just drives into the marketing piece of it. Yeah. Um, and so what is it? Is it tree houses or tree house yeah, so the, themed? The, or what the, is the that one like? we have under contract right now that's in the middle of development as well. We're, we're not taking over the development. The current owners are actually going to be finishing up the development. But um, originally it was a seven unit tree house community. Beautiful, beautiful. In my opinion, it's one of the top short term rental properties in the country. Um, and they're building out another 13 units, literally like most beautiful mountain views I've ever seen. Um, and we've been working on that deal for the last like six months or so. Wow, I'm excited to see that. Can we? Is there anything you can link in the uh, show yeah, notes? Yeah, open openatlas and I'll, I'll send you the link right after this. So we awesome. can put it in the show notes, but yeah, openatlas.investments with an s, no.com after just investments, and then they'll take you directly over to the investor site, which we spent four days putting together like a 15 minute investor video of an entire walkthrough of the property, drone footage, every every wow. essentially took the t- took the pitch deck, turned it into a website and a video for the investors. And for those that haven't been to Tulum, other than it being incredibly expensive to eat out, it's it's oh, yeah. jaw-droppingly beautiful. And these hotels are like they they were just dropped on the beach and they've all got kind of slightly different vibes and tree yeah. houses and they're all beach running throughout it. There's no floor. Yeah, it's I've, been, just a beach. I've been trying to court. I don't know which one you guys stayed at, but Azulik. Uh, That's what like we, the big, yeah. we, we stayed in Hotelito Azul, which is, okay. uh, yeah. Not too yeah, yeah. Azulik, Azulik. I've been That's trying to very court nice. Them. Yeah, I've been yeah. trying to court them to do something here in the States. And it's been it's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that place was beautiful. I think that was uh yeah, kind of getting up there in price for us. But yeah, yeah beachside yeah. villa, um, you know, swing chair out on the deck overlooking yeah. the ocean. Amazing. But it's 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 not like Cancun where there's like a thousand units. It's like 20, 40 yep. units, and you you're in this little community. So super super nice alex how can people get in touch with you uh my linkedin is probably the easiest way to do it um if you got so just and uh it's just alex jarbo and then if you guys are interested in the website uh in the investment the website like i said is openatlas.investments it's also linked in my linkedin if the, the easiest way to find it to be honest <laughs> linkedin yeah. you're in linkedin and LinkedIn, in terms of um mentoring things like that can, are you still actively mentoring people I, I do I do it through BNB Formula, um, okay. so like BNB Formula, Brian Page's group. Um, I don't I personally don't do the one on one stuff anymore, um, but that's I started with BNB Formula. That was another thing I purchased the course like whenever I started, like six years ago, seven years ago now. <laughs> um, but I do all my coaching through BNB Formula. Amazing, yep. Alex. Um, I really appreciate your time and, and you know super interesting conversation. Hopefully, our our listeners liked it as well. I think they're going to get a ton of value. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, man. Cool. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. If you like what you've heard, 
please consider sharing and writing a five-star review.